absolute power corrupts absolutely. Gotta get dip. Gotta get dip. Gotta get dip. Gotta get dip, 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 dip. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again. That's Sunday morning time, 10 a.m. You know who's here waiting for you. We appreciate you if you're listening to me right now. I am JT, a.k.a. The Master, and this is The Master Plan. The number to call in is 347-637-3220. I'll say that again. 347-637-3220 is the place to be if you want to talk to JT, the master, and you know that's me. Welcome to those late risers, the ones who had a good time on Saturday night, partying out, get a chance to sleep in and then wake up. Hopefully you're waking up and listening to me. Got a chat room sitting out there. If you'd like to jump in that chat room, ask a question, a statement, make a comment in that chat room, I will address it online. And, and we'll talk about it, whatever. But I would like to hear from you. So dial in that number that I said to you twice. I'm not going to say it again. Maybe a little later in the program, but right now, you know what it is. Just dial in. All right, people. We're going to be talking about, in this episode of the Master Plan, Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, and a little bit of the four-legged animal that took place uh, uh, racing-wise in the horse racing. Uh, a mild upset, and we'll talk about that. Okay? In fact, that's probably the first thing we'll talk about. And then we'll drop into the other um, professional sports. All right. For those racing aficionados, uh, racing uh, fans, I should say, you heard uh, all the rumblings that there's a possibility that we had another Triple Crown um, contender, strong contender, based on what happened two weeks ago in the Kentucky Derby and Nyquist winning that. An exaggerator um, Two weeks ago, May 8th, if I do believe That uh, Those two horses Met for the fourth time Two weeks ago And as it was Four times Nyquist won Being undefeated He won the race Exaggerator coming second Four times a bridesmaid and Nyquist, the bride. Well, the conditions were muddy. Sloppy track. At a field of 11, Nyquist, being the Kentucky Derby winner, was the post-time favorite. I think he went off at 3-5, to five, somewhere around that. Exaggerated, went off at 5-2. to two. 
fifth meeting between these two, uh, so-called experts uh, predicted Nyquist would win this. Um, I also thought Nyquist would win this, but I thought an exaggerator. I called exact. I called it the the exacta. Maybe not in that order. Exacta is for those who don't know. Who wins the race, and then the horse that comes second. If you can pick that, that's the exacta or perfecta or or whatever track you're at. It could be perfecta for some, exacta for others. Pick the winners first and second, exacta. I'm saying exacta because that's what I know. And then, you know, you put a $2 on whatever the exacta comes back, you win that amount of money. And a lot of people had Nyquist on top, including myself. Man, I had exaggerator second. Didn't flip it. Well, it got flipped. It got flipped. And, in fact, it got flipped so much that Nyquist finished third. And um, a long shot called Cherry Wine closed from the back of the field to pick up the second uh, uh, place prize money. Keith DeSormo was the um, trainer, and Ken DeSormo, his brother, was the uh, winning jockey. Ken DeSormo, multi-preakness winner, picked, the, picked, the, uh, picked it up. Both these two guys are Maryland-based um, uh uh, trainer and jockey, uh, both familiar with Pimlico and the other track in, in Maryland, which is uh, um, uh, Laurel. Very familiar with Pimlico. Knows it like the back of his hands. Probably one of the one of the uh, only jockeys in the race that knows it well because he ran on these tracks for years. So he he knows it with with his eyes closed. Had a dream trip. Rail trip, dream trip. Couldn't have been much better for, for Exaggerator. And it paid off to get the Preakness winner. And uh, um, remove Nyquist from the unbeaten column. One beat, uh, uh, once, once beaten, Nyquist now, they have a choice of whether they're going to the Belmont, which is a mile and a half, which is a lot. A lot of these horses that raced in the uh, Preakness may not make it to the Belmont, um, including the Exaggerator. Uh, you have to see how worse for wear these horses are. If they're, they, it took a lot out of them to, to run on a sloppy track. In the first two races, um, two horses died at the Preakness, uh, um, at the Pimlico track. One, one I think, uh, had a heart attack after he won the race. The other one broke down during a race, first two races. Uh, so you take these, you take a chance with these horses, uh, whether it's in ideal conditions or um, muddy or sloppy conditions like it was yesterday in, in uh, Maryland. And uh, these horses are very f- fragile animals, even though that uh, they're, they're uh, very big in stature. So, Nyquist uh, and uh, all the uh, horses that 
could be strong contenders for the Belmont. Um, have to the their their connections have to evaluate how they fared coming out of this race. Whether they'll be able to take the grueling mile and a mile and a half race at Belmont. There's a reason why it's a mile and a quarter, mile and three. Three sixteenth, which was the Preakness, mile and a quarter, which was the uh, Kentucky Derby in Churchill Downs. Like I said, mile and three three sixteenth in Pimlico, and then a uh, um, stretch them out to a mile and a half. Probably the only time most of these horses will go a mile and a half. Most of these horses will stay at a mile and eighth, mile and a quarter. Um, and uh, do their do their damage, or if if they're able to at that distance. But a mile and a half um, is a grueling race, especially for a three-year-old. Especially for a three-year-old. So no more no more talk of a triple crown winner t- this this uh, year. Um, the last one, it took 40 years for American Pharaoh to become a triple crown winner. Are we going to wait another 40 years? You'll have to wait next year to see if there's a horse capable of winning the Derby, winning the Preakness, and winning the Belmont. Uh, each year, the Derby winner always gets that that moniker, like, is this the next triple crown winner? Um, or uh, Or the racy enthusiast or the media, whoever gets the disappointed once again. I don't look at it that way. I don't think that you should do that. If the horse wins the triple crown, I mean, horse wins the uh, uh, Kentucky Derby. You should only do that and not jump, jump ahead of the gun. If the horse comes back that wins the Kentucky Derby, wins the Preakness, and how well does he win the Preakness? Does he just barely win the Preakness? Does he have extremely good racing luck winning the second leg of the Triple Crown when he wins the Preakness? And how's he come out of that? That's when you should start talking about a horse if they're going to win the Triple Crown, not when the horse comes out of the Kentucky Derby, that's only one race. Give him two races under his belt to give him a, a, a legit um, talking about versus uh, we're going to have another triple crown winner. Nowadays, the media is so quick to pump uh, individual up, team, uh, individual team, or whatever. Pump your brakes a little bit there, people. Come back to reality. You build horses up. That's why this horse was three to five. I, You know what? I didn't even bother, even though I, I off the top of my head from when I saw, saw these two horses, that, that is the two horses I like. But I didn't even bother really handicapping the race Because I didn't like the conditions for one. And it was the first time 
Nyquist have really run on a off track. And you didn't know what you were going to get. And some horses step up on an off track. Exaggerator had run on an off track. So he this was nothing new for him. And he won the uh, uh, Santa Anita Stakes on an off track. Excuse me, Santa Anita Derby, not, not Santa Anita Stakes. Santa Anita Derby, okay? And it, like I said, Nyquist had never run on an off track. So, and he was a three-to-five choice. Hype, people, hype. Just because a horse is three to five doesn't mean that that's what he's going. That's a type of race. He doesn't know he's three to five. That's the betting public. Horse doesn't know what his odds are. He just gets out there and runs. And some people rely heavily on those odds when they go to the racetrack. especially the, the novice uh, racetrack better. Some of them bet the favorite. Some of them like long shots. The color of the horse, the color of the horse's silks, the jockey silks, I should say. The look of the jockey, the trainer, they like the trainer or the owner. There's all different types of ways to, to wager quite naturally. And uh, I think it's 33%, 30%, somewhere around there, favorites win. So three races out of 10, roughly, you're going to get a favorite to win, 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 um, to come home winning. Three races out of 10. And that's pretty consistent over uh, tracks across America. In the 30%, 30% range, horses win. So, like I said, 10 races, you get three races that the favorite will win. Now, that's not on an everyday basis. Sometimes you get majority races in an 8-10 race field that the, the favorite wins. And then the next day, it's all long shots. But what I'm saying on a consistent basis, if you go over all the, the statistics, um, on average, 30% of out of 10, 30, three races out of 10, if it's a 10, 10, 10 race uh, card, 10 race card, then uh, you get three, three winners that are favorites. All right, let's move on. Uh, spent about 15 minutes on that, but that's fine. Uh, I wanted to get everything I wanted to get out of the uh, the horse race, horse racing, I should say, uh, segment of this. It's 15 minutes. We got it out. And uh, I think we'll move on to the um, NBA. How about we move on to the NBA? Get out of this. Say goodbye to horse racing for now. And we move on to the NBA. 
and the playoffs, the Western Conference uh, playoffs, game uh, three. It's tied up 1-1. Golden State Warriors came back uh, and, uh, in game two at home and um, got a win. So the Oklahoma, depending on what you want to see, what perspective you want to see, is that the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Golden State Warriors, or both of them, got a split. Let me put it that way. They split. Each one has a win, and they go to Oklahoma for two games. Crucial game two. Does uh, uh, Oklahoma come back and, and uh, um, lay the smack down on the Warriors for the win that they pushed, put on them um, the other night? Or does uh, oh, 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 the uh, Golden State Warriors to back wins, one at home and one on the road, first game of the uh, road in the Western Conference Finals against Oklahoma? Two relatively evenly matched teams, very athletic teams. Um, I think uh, the Golden State Warriors have a lot more firepower from a, a lot more individuals, Jamon Green, uh, Clay Thompson, um, Harrison Barnes, um, Andre Iguodala, um, and that, not to speak of, not to even leave him out, but I, Stephon, reigning two-time um, MVP, Stephon Curry, Sean Livingston. Those, those players compared to Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant. Now, just just listen to the the just just, just you, if you were listening, you heard me mention about these five players, at least five, maybe six, that I rattled off that can do damage against the Oklahoma City Thunder. You only really had me rattle off three names on the Oklahoma. I mean, uh, on the Oklahoma City Thunder team. Golden State Warriors, like I said, Stephon Curry, Sean Livingston, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala. Um, That's five guys right there. And Harrison Barnes is number six. Compared to named guys on the... Oklahoma City Thunder in Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Sage Ibaka. And I'm talking about guys that are consistent, or fairly consistent, that can make it make a huge difference in a, in a game like this. More than, I shouldn't say more, twice the amount of guys, in my opinion, when the Golden State Warriors versus the Oklahoma City Thunder can make a difference in whether their team wins or loses. With those type of odds, 
I'd have to call that the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to go down in this game, um, even though they, they, they're, they're going to try to come back and, and make a statement uh, because the way they lost last the last game. That, this, this is how it works, people. I'll get to the Eastern Conference first. That's the JV side of this NBA um, um, contest. Uh, this is the varsity we're talking about over in uh, the Western Conference. Game one, Golden State and um, Oklahoma City Thunder. Oklahoma came out, made a statement, won a strong game. Um, I would say uh, probably shocked um, the Golden State Warriors that You better bring your A plus 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 game if you if you want to advance to the finals, NBA finals. I'm talking about. Kind of woke up the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry, especially in the third quarter. For the third quarter, Steph Curry scored fifteen minutes, uh, fifteen points in what less than five minutes, something like that. Fifteen points in less than five minutes. So I'm thinking this, second game, Golden State Warriors um, haven't lost two games in a row. Can't say all season because I, I do remember them losing two games in, in a row late in the season, if I'm not mistaken. But for the most part, has not lost two games in a row, especially in the playoffs. Couldn't see them losing the second game, uh, and they wanted to get back home field court, I mean home court. So, Oklahoma made a statement in the first game. Golden State makes a statement in the second game. And each one of these teams, if you listen to them, post-game, especially Oklahoma, that's saying they got to focus, they got to uh, 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 fix their mistakes and come back with a purpose. So you know they're going to try their best and give their best effort to win the third game, especially the first game at home for them in this series. And he got to believe that if they don't, then I wouldn't say they're going to be devastated, but um, they don't want to go down 3-1 to the Golden State Warriors because there's no way they're going to win three games in a row against them. No way. No way. So this is a crucial game because if they lose this game, they're down 2-1. It's a must win, even though, and it's still at home for them. It's a must win. Game four, if they go down 2-1 to, to, to Golden State, because just, just think about this. They have to get, they have to split, just like Golden State has to split. They have to split the next two games. So at the at the worst, they'll go back to Golden State with a tie, two two, with a chance to go up three two. Back to Golden State because after the first two games, after the first four games, two at home for Golden State, then two at home for uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, 
then each game after that, if there's, there's no sweeping, quite naturally, everybody knows there's no sweep now, they go back and forth, one game at each other's court until uh, one of these teams wins four games out of the seven. So it's crucial that for both teams, they get a split. They get a split. So it's 2-2 two, two tied at the end of the fourth game, which is the second game at home for Oklahoma City Thunder. Then they can go back and forth and uh, um, decide who's going to go to the uh, NBA Finals. All right. Let's move on to a series that I think I got a little bit more interesting um, for the simple fact is this. In the regular season, the um, Cleveland Browns, excuse me, Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Cavaliers and the um, Toronto Raptors wound up 1-2 in the East. Cleveland won 57 games, lost 25. Toronto won one less, 56 games, and lost 26. Cleveland had been undefeated, undefeated. They had gone 10 straight games without losing a playoff game. Feeling very good. Feeling extremely confident and rightfully so because Toronto, when they played in Cleveland, Looked very lost team. Looked like a very lost team. And I had said before last week um, that Toronto was a very young team. First time they've ever been in this situation, being at the Eastern Conference Finals. And the experienced team, especially LeBron, had been there before. And it showed in the first two games played in Cleveland goes to show you home court, home court. is extremely important. Now they only lost home court by a game. They only were one game less on the win column than Cleveland, but it makes a huge difference when you go to the playoffs on playing at your home court or having home court advantage versus having to not have it. And uh, Toronto with the horrible play of a very young, and I have to say from what I'm seeing, the antics of this guy is a very immature Kylie Lowry. Um, they look lost. They look... Like they they didn't know how to handle adversity, especially Lowry didn't know how to handle adversity, adversity. Well, not to say that, I mean, you'd be more comfortable. You sit when you come come home and play uh, uh, the next two games at home across the border in Toronto, sleeping in your uh, home home bed versus sleeping on, on a bed that's on your hotel room. And you can see that Toronto came out with a fire 
and aggressiveness and physicality that they weren't going gently into this into this night. They weren't going to go down without a fight. And if you wanted to uh, take a commanding lead of 3-0 in the Eastern Conference playoffs, then you had to come with your A++++ game. And Cleveland didn't do that. J.R. Smith was hitting early, and then he petered out. Uh, Kyrie Irving and uh, Kevin Love, I don't know where they were, but they weren't in um, in the same same uh, um, game that uh, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers were playing. Tyson Chandler came to play, hitting threes, raining threes uh, whenever he got the ball. Had a high percentage. Kevin Love, brick upon brick upon brick, getting outplayed. Got outplayed horribly. Horribly. By Bayumbo. He had a record 23 rebounds. Nobody could keep him off the freaking boards. He had 14 before he even scored a point. All he was doing was all the dirty work, grabbing the rebound, either pitching out if it was a defensive rebound, if, if it was an offensive rebound, pitching out back to the um, the scores, DeMar DeRozan, and, I, and I'll talk about him in a, in a minute, or Kyrie Irving or, or uh, Peterson or Carroll, and uh, for them to, to score, because he's not a scorer. He's, uh, he's, the, he's the workman. He's the guy that does all the dirty work, and, and he was doing it very well, blocking shots, scooping up rebounds left and right, frustrating the Cleveland Cavaliers to no end. Um, and then when they were trying to deal with the offense of the Raptors, meaning the Cleveland Cavaliers, leaving Bayumbo all by him with himself, under the basket for easy dunks, easy layups. I have to say, it was a nice win. Cleveland only scored 84 points, which is below, way well below their average, which is over 100 points. This is the type of game that the Raptors have to play. A scrappy game. Um, uh, physical game and, and uh, um, they have a shot. Mark of a young team or an experienced team is how well they play on the road versus how well they play at home. Just like Stephen H said, he wasn't he 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 didn't see this coming. I didn't see it coming either. I was hoping it would be, uh, because then you have a, you can make a, 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 a claim that now we have a series that the Toronto Raptors will show up. You don't um, get the second best record in the Eastern Conference by not being a decent or good team. 
not have some type of re- resiliency and heart. And it looked like the the Toronto Raptors decided we're not going down like this. You got to get a little bit more effort. They felt a lot better about themselves because they were home. Like I said, they're a young and experienced team. They've never been here before. And it's a learning experience. Um, the Bulls went through it. The Lakers went through it. The Celtics went through it. The Detroit uh, Pistons went through it. Um, it's a learning experience. And they have a shot. I'm not, I, don't, I'm, I don't think they're going to win it. Because just like I had said previously, this, in my opinion, the Eastern Conference and the playoffs, uh, the teams that are playing in the playoffs are, are the JV team, ready for prime time. They'll be in prime time, but I don't think that either one of these teams, they happen to go to the uh, – one of them is going to. And I should say happen. If one of these teams, meaning the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Toronto Raptors, uh, you, you flip a coin and, and whoever goes – has a snowball's chance in hell in beating either the Oklahoma City Thunder or the reigning champions in the Golden State Warriors. And more so, if they if, if the Golden State Warriors get past Oklahoma, uh, I think there's no way, no way on God's green earth that either one of these teams beat Golden State. Too many weapons. Too many weapons. Too many ways that Golden State can take you apart versus Cleveland. Now, Cleveland's been playing team ball. Tyron Lue's got, I wouldn't say whooped them in shape, but got them on the same page for the most part, uh, albeit that uh, yesterday, last night's game, uh, excluding that one. But he's got them playing well, playing as a team. And playing well as a team, moving the the basketball. Toronto did a very good job of disrupting that um, and uh, causing or help cause um, extremely poor pursuit shoot to me extremely poor shooting percentage from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Can they do it again come Monday? I think it's Monday that they play again. We'll wait and see because just because you won one game, and I'm talking to the Toronto Raptors, you won one game, that's not the series. You got three more that you got to take. And what better time to to, to tie the series up is to walk out and give the same effort because you know that, that Cleveland's going to try to jump back on that train, the winning train and snatch, snatch any kind of good feeling that the Toronto Raptors have from the the game they, they pulled out or won yesterday and, and grab it back into the favor of the Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron's got a lot running riding on this. He wants to get back in the worst way. And hopefully, I'm, I'll say it again, and hopefully – the Golden State Warriors are waiting for him because he wants to, uh, and I'll say it again, I said it before, prove a point. He wants to prove a point. 
I'm the man still. I don't care what what the about the MVP. I'm the man still on this league. You any any anything that needs to be established as who's the man? It's me, meaning LeBron. So he's riding this as a, as a mission that he wants to get back with his boys, meaning uh, Kyrie Irving and um, Kevin Love, healthy, along with the rest of the crew of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Strength on strength. And see how it'll fare versus what happened last last year. In my opinion, there's a dethronement coming if it's not been there already. And this is not a Game of Thrones. This is not a Game of Thrones. If you watch the Game of Thrones, you see Khaleesi coming out of the fire and claiming her, her rightful place as the person in charge. Well, who's going to claim... Uh, that right coming out of the fire and and say they're the person in charge. So LeBron wants to get back, especially get back if the Golden State Warriors win the Western Conference and go and be the opponent um, in the NBA Finals. But they, first, he's got to get past the Toronto Raptors, who. I think has a legit shot, has a uh, shot of uh, adrenaline, um, has a, a, a renewed confidence, not overconfidence. You can't get overconfident. You got to stay humble and you got to be confident at the same time. And I still say Kyrie, Kyle Lowry needs to wake up, needs to mature more. Maybe this all is a learning experience. I see him throwing all kinds of fits. Uh, many fits on the court when things don't go his way. He's got to temper that and focus on the on the task at hand. Playing de- sound defense. Playing sound defense. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, uh, taking good shots and keeping his teammates involved and putting them in positions so they can succeed. That's key. That's key. Can't always put it on DeMar DeRozan. You're one of the the guys that the team relies on. You got to have a better game on the defensive and offensive side than you had this past game. If it wasn't for DeMar DeRozan, um, the Toronto Raptors would have been in serious trouble. Got to have it more even out, uh, so the Cleveland Cavaliers doesn't key in on one person. This one being DeMar DeRozan, Kyrie out. Excuse me, Kyle Lowry has to show up big time next game because you know they're going to try to shut down DeMar DeRozan to give them a better shot. When you have a guy that has to take a break go to the to the locker room and he this is not something he just just come about he does this on a regular basis 
when you see a guy, and I've watched, watched him when things weren't going his way. Bad body language, bad facial expressions. Um, you you got to do a better job. You got to be more of a pro. Um, in my opinion, I'm on one person talking about it. But I, what I'm seeing, I, I really don't like uh, out of a player. I know, you know, you, you got that passion, but you got to channel it in a positive way, not in a negative way that you portray on on, on um, in the game. Let's move over to the West. The varsity, in my opinion. Golden State, El Serve, Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm thinking they're playing today. Uh, and I'm thinking that the Golden State Warriors will pick up another win here. It's going to be close game. Most of these games are, are relatively, for the most part, last game wasn't, um, and during the regular season, the games were were close. Too much firepower on Golden State side. So if I was a betting person, and I don't bet on basketball games or any games, really. I would take the Golden State Warriors. I know that the, quite naturally, all these teams, when they lose, supposedly they got to step their game up. The, the cliches that, that that they push out there on these losing teams, got to step their game up, got to match their intensity, got to be more physical, more focused. And all those cliches are always put out there. Um, but in, in, in reality... It comes down to two things, mental fortitude and talent. Talent and mental fortitude, meaning that you got to have heart um, and you got to channel that heart uh, and come up in big moments and with your skill set in mind to um, help your team win. And I think, in my, I should say, I know my opinion that it's more of a probability that Golden State will rise to the occasion versus Oklahoma. Now, some some say that Oklahoma over over the season had made it a habit of losing games late in the fourth quarter, and now they've, because of that experience, they are better equipped to deal with it in the playoffs. Well, the, the playoffs and regular season are two different two different. Entities, regular season, regular season, playoffs, playoffs. More, there's more pressure, and it's more intense in the playoffs with a seven-game series versus a whole regular season of 82 games. So if you have a bad stretch of games that you're not doing well and you lose. You can all, you always know there's another game until the to the last game of, of the season. 
Well, you can't really do that on a sustained basis in the playoffs. With with each matchup, it's a seven-game series. You got to get the best of four. I mean, yeah, you got to get four four games out of that seven games in order to be, to to move on. You don't. You go home. You, you, your vacation starts. Whatever the last game that you lost starts. I mean, ends. So doesn't work that way. All right. Let me take a quick break. And then come back, and we'll talk about the NFL. There's some changes going on in the NFL. Let's talk about the NFL when we come back um, in a couple of minutes. How's that? Getting to near the end of the show, but uh, we'll uh, be right back after this. Hi, I'm Russell Gilchrist. When I need fantasy sports advice, I listen to fantasy sports and politics on Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night is the right time to kick back and listen to the FSP Crew Show as they break down the weekend sports and prepare you for Thursday night football. 8 p.m. Eastern, just before the game starts. Jerry the Master Taylor hosts the show with Jeff the Joker Goldberg and Mike the Bookie Monster Wright. The three gentlemen debate and discuss a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything on the FSP Crew Show every Thursday night on blogtalkradio.com forward slash V-I-C-H-B-K, 8 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. You can listen at spotonradio.webs.com after the show as it streams 24-7, 365. And listen to other informative programs as well. Information, motivation, variety. Victor Gardner began the fantasy sports and politics brand with the idea of combining two of his passions into a radio show. He then learned that politics were 95% of sports. When you tune into the Fantasy Sports and Politics show every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, Mr. FSP himself, Vic Gardner, and Jerry, the master tailor, will go over the weekend sports, prep you for your upcoming fantasy games, and spark a debate politicians would love to hear. That's the FSP show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com forward slash B-I-C-H-B-K. You can listen at spotonradio.web.com after the show as it streams 24-7, 365. For other informative programs as well, information, motivation, variety. Okay, let's get back, uh, and we're going to be talking about the uh, NFL right now. Um, the NFL is on the verge of a shift in instant replay. Um, the Rich, Rich McKay, chairman of the NFL's rulemaking com- competition committee, told USA Today, Sports, I'm sorry, on Saturday that the proposal the team's owners will consider next week will be largely built on rewriting of the instant replay rule in an inverse fashion. Now, what's that mean? The existing rule is written to cover what types of plays are reviewable. The new rule, if passed, will be written to legislate what plays cannot be reviewed. I'm not saying that it's not going to 
squash all the arguments or comments about what's a catch or what a, a call uh, if it's a first down. Um, that the NFL's aim to simplify the rule book, rule book quite naturally for the coaches, for the players, and for the fans, not necessarily in, in that order. McKay said, and this is a quote, what's happened is there have been so many rules added over the years as situations have come up. The rule book has become cumbersome, and we're addressing that. The uh, proposed rule, which will also include an extension of the provision provision that the commissioner, Roger Goodell, mandated for the playoffs last season that allowed game officials to get help from NFL headquarters in reviewing administrative issues, will need approval from 24 owners during meetings in Charlotte on Tuesday. Um, So the competition committee proposals, reflects a, a spirit of compromise that recognizes the proposal the Ravens withdrew earlier this week that sought to liberalize, liberalize the type of plays allowed to be reviewed. In the existing rule, at least 30 types of plays are allowed to be reviewed. Now with the Ravens carrying a torch that gained momentum from coaches, the league is on the verge of a rule that will be easier to digest because there are roughly eight types of plays that can't be reviewed. McKay, this is another quote from him. They pushed it in the right direction, no question. I give Coach Harbaugh a lot of credit. Harbaugh's proposal came from the same philosophical vein that New England Patriots coach Bill had with his review anything proposals in previous years. The competition committee, which for many years has included Ravens GM Ozzie Newsom, often worries about how new rules will affect the time of, the, of game that is essential to TV. Quite naturally, games are most of, for the most part about, what, three hours? Am I right about that? I think it's three hours. Uh, give or take, some games go longer than others. In this case, it probably helps that the number of coaches' challenges won't change, nor will the proposed rule allow for penalties to be reviewed. The list of situations that can't be reviewed will include pass interference, holding, illegal contact, other infractions. So no doubt judgment calls are still in the game. And so is the time-honored mantra, just get it right. NFL officials make the right call at any overwhelming hot rate. Then stuff happens. Last season, the Seattle Seahawks won against the Detroit Lions in week four when a fumble was illegally batted out of the end zone. I, and I watched that game, couldn't believe it happened, and, and that the official who was watching the play, you could see him. He was right there watching the play happen, as it, watching the play unfold as it had unfolded, and didn't call it. And quite naturally, I think that official got reprimanded for that, rightfully so. I mean, he's right in front of you. What You freeze in a moment, you get paid to not freeze in a moment. The next week, the clock operator in San Diego failed miserably in crunch time. And it didn't cost the Steelers the game, but fortunately it didn't cost the Steelers the game. In week 10, and I think this is one of the main reasons why Harbaugh and the Ravens 
got uh, um, heavily involved in trying to get things changed. The Ravens lost when the Jaguars got an extra untimed down. And with that untimed down, they got a 53-yard field goal after officials blew a call on a false start before defensive penalties. Harbaugh has maintained that there were five games last season determined by non-reviewable calls. The proposed new rule, excuse me, the proposed replay rule won't ensure perfection. I mean, unless you're a robot, you're not going to get perfection. But at least it um, helps the human process, human factor, not be as much of a factor uh, in deciding these games. Um, like I said, the proposed new replay rule won't ensure perfection, but it represents a progress and a better understanding of the rules. Unless, of course, you're looking for the ultimate de- definition of a catch. And I don't know how they're going to fix that. What's the catch? Who's the catch? How's the catch? When's the catch? Um, those are all questions that are always asked and never answered the same way. And we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I mean, there's too many instances where the coach that it affects, the player that it affects, the team that it affects, the fan that it affects, or fans in general are watching the play and see that it looks like a catch to me but as it's defined in the NFL rule book and as referees uh, um, or officials have um, um, have an understanding of it, some of these catches that it's obvious to others, it's not obvious to the powers that be, meaning the officials that call, make the, make the calls or the NFL officials in New York or wherever that either overturn or confirm a catch. And then there's this one real quick one here that I found this very interesting. And, you know, if I was um, the veteran that this was, was told about, I I'd feel a little bit, um, I wouldn't say threatened, but I, I, You got a uh, fifth-round pick talking a lot of smack about what he's going to do. Broncos opened the offseason with their top two rushers from last year headed for free agency, but neither one wound up leaving town. C.J. Anderson signed an offer sheet with the Dolphins as a restricted free agent, but the Broncos matched a four-year, $18 million deal eventually and brought Ronnie Hillman back on a one-year deal as well. The return doesn't mean the backfield playing time will work out the same way, however. Devontae Booker, uh, I think he was rated the third best running back and out maybe with dispute arrived in the fourth round of the draft after an excellent career at Utah that showed NFL starter level promise to go with Booker's NFL starter level aspirations. This is a quote from uh, the rookie Devontae Booker fourth round pick. My message to Bronco fans is I want to be one of the best running backs to come out of Denver. I'm not here to carry the pads. I'm there to take, I'm here. I'm there to take someone's job. Uh Oh, C.J. Anderson, who's supposedly be the leading lead back, 
uh, uh, Ronnie Hillman, who's another veteran. You got a fourth round pick talking a lot of smack, and he hasn't even played the first one down into the NFL. One stumbling block for Booker is a torn meniscus he tore late last season. He hasn't practiced yet this offseason, won't be on the field for OTAs this week. Another is the president of Anderson, who doesn't have any problem with Booker gunning for the job or with putting his own foot forward. And what do people want him to say? That's what Anderson said. I, it doesn't matter what he says. I know what I can do. I know what I can do in this league. He's coming in with confidence, and he's supposed to. I don't have a problem with what he said. I said the same thing when I came in undrafted. The best-case scenario for Booker, excuse me, for the Broncos' offense is an all, or some of the combination of Anderson, Hillman, and Booker thrive this season regardless of where they rank on the depth chart. Denver sets up to be to be a run-first team, and there will be plenty of t- chances to go around if they Im- implement that plan successfully. We'll have to wait and see how it's played out on the field. I want to thank everyone for um, listening and joining me t- today. Tune in next week. I will be here on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the uh, FSP crew show will, will be back from a hiatus. Uh, also, we'll be here on Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to take over for Vic, who won't be available on the FSP show. And I also will be back here as you're sp- listening to me again, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Master Plan. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And, and enjoy uh, the, the rest of your week. Come back Thursday, and uh, uh, we'll we'll see you then. I'm just dropping a mic, and I'm out of here. See ya.